0: Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from Mole Valley Farmers. In this tumultuous year, dairy farmers face being exposed to lots of external factors that could severely affect their business. So today we're going to hear from three Mole Valley Farmers experts for their take on what's happening right now and their thoughts about how farmers can help safeguard their businesses from rising interest rates, inflation, energy bills and volatile markets. I'm Seth Conway, here's what's coming up from my expert guests, James Haig, Dr. Robin Hawkey and Daniel McCready.
1: You're going to find it impossible to try and hit the bottom of a marketplace, but you do need to make sure you don't hit the top too often. Um, And knowing where either of those are has never been so difficult. Despite all of this volatility and
2: what's going on in the world, one thing hasn't changed over the years is the importance of silage quality.
3: Look at how cash is deployed in the business and invest it in things that are going to reduce
0: risk going forward. Well, there's plenty of volatility out there within the agricultural markets at the moment. And if you're after information about the latest goings on, you've come to the right place because I've got three chaps in the room who will provide plenty of considered opinion and advice and uh, all manner of information about their subject areas. So if we just go round our room, first of all, we'll introduce who we've got from Valley to offer this advice today. Let's start with you, Dan.
1: Yeah, good afternoon. I'm um Daniel McCready. I'm Head of Procurement for More Valley Farmers. Um, so my responsibility would be for the procuring of all pro- products that we would use to make in our six feed mills across the UK.
2: Yes. Hi, uh, Dr. Robin Hawkey. I'm a senior nutritionist with the business and very much involved in the research and development of various products, but also very much on farm as well. So trying to link up with the sort of the theory and the practical of what goes on farm.
3: Uh, my name is James Hay. I'm Head of Agricultural Sales for Mole Valley Farmers. So in charge of the uh, sales team and delivery of uh, feed and advice on farm.
0: We're recording this podcast midway through October. So any references to prices will be at this particular market time. But we'll try to steer away from individual prices because at the moment, James, Things are just so volatile, aren't they? They're moving all the time. We're here to kind of offer a considered opinion and advice on where we are just at the minute and what we're thinking going forward. They are indeed. I mean, we, we are seeing so many component parts
3: moving very rapidly at present. Then, um, yes, keeping up to date um, is one of the reasons we're doing podcasts like this to um, to try and flag you know, what is happening in the industry. A, a classic example at the moment we've seen UK milk production which has been behind by about three percent for most of the the milk season so far is now two percent ahead of this time last year so we know that there's been a shift in calving pattern so we know we've got more autumn carvers so we've seen those cows calving through there's also a shift to spring block calving as well Um, so there's a, there's a lot of milk now starting to flow Um, and that could, not for the moment, but it could start to have an impact on milk prices
0: um, when we get through into the spring flush. So we're going to come and talk about the milk and meat market uh, in this half an hour that we've got with you today. We're going to talk about forage, but I think we're going to kick off with the markets at the moment, aren't we, Dan?
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, the volatility is across everything we look at, of course, in the world at the moment. but in terms of the raw material markets, yeah, it's um, it's definitely unprecedented times. Um, and that's the word that's been used a lot recently, but it's still very much the case. Um, I mean, what, you can look at the fundamentals of products and go into that individual. But realistically, today, the biggest the biggest um, difficulty with risk um, is actually in the outside influences of what's going on today. Um, so if we look at, um, you know, the grain market, for example, which is obviously massively important to the globe. Um, we, I think everybody knows that, you know, the food corridor was agreed with Ukraine and that, and that's obviously happening, but we're still hearing of um, some serious things going on very close to the, to the ports, the Odesa port where it would be leaving and, and only last week it was shut for a few days whilst there was missiles within a 20 mile radius of there and that is going to raise the issue of food security again. Um, and that 20 million tonnes that needs exporting over a few month period is not a very easy thing to actually execute on.
0: Yeah and as, as we're speaking now the deal is supposed to come to an end at the end of November isn't it so I guess we don't know just at the moment about what's going to happen post then.
1: Exactly no exactly and markets will react you know very volatively in that, in that scenario. It's um, at the moment, you know, the in terms of the price, it's it's obviously softened in, in the in the time before this, um, and it seems to be sat at a reasonable level today, but actually um it's certainly capable of having aggressive rises again if any more news of that nature was to come in. And I think that's where the risk is really high because it certainly um has the ability to to make those rises and very fast when it does
0: which is obviously a very tricky scenario, isn't it, for people? Is there anything that um, farmers can do to to manage the risk for their business in, in that respect?
1: Yeah, I mean, it. It's, it's a little and often approach is often the thing you need to be looking at. Um, that's realistically how lots of things have to be procured today, not just, um, you know, products for farming. The risk needs to be managed um, by the sense that if you're, you're, you're going to find it impossible to try and hit the bottom of a marketplace, but you do need to make sure you don't hit the top too often. Um, and knowing where either of those are has never been so difficult. And the, and the width and the gap between the two is now enormous, whereas before it would be a much smaller trading range throughout the course of a year. Um, so the risk is significantly higher um, than it has been in the past. Um, and for that reason, you want to be managing your risk by taking, you know, a percentage that you feel comfortable and is correct for your business at the right time. Um, and if you do a little and often approach, then it's all about trying to work a, a sensible average into what you have purchased.
0: I guess with the way that the financial markets have steadied a little bit with the intervention of the new chancellor, I guess that uh, the comparison of the pound against the dollar is helping a little bit anyway, in terms of the what you're getting for your money.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I certainly wouldn't have said it was helping last week or the week before. Um, but um, but yes, it's it's got a level of firmness to it now. I mean, we saw the low of 103 to the dollar, which was very concerning. Um, and, you know, again, to give an idea of how that affects raw material markets for every one point that we do lose against the dollar, it's between 350 and five pounds a ton in price. Um, so it's really significant when you see big moves big falls in the way we have. Um, I mean, if you look at back at early part of this year, February, March, we we're at 136 to the dollar, thinking about 140. And and now we've, we've fallen so heavily from the 120 that we're actually into the teens. Um, and it could get back one day, but I think we need a weak dollar to help us. Um, I don't think we have an awful lot um, out there today to, to suggest that we're going to make a significant comeback with the sterling in the next few months. Um, and that, that to me, you know, suggests that we can't rely on it on it helping us in terms of the price.
0: Yeah. And I mean, those are factors that are out of all of our control, aren't they? And James, for you, when you're kind of out there managing the sales teams and things, you know, those kind of price arguments, price conversations must be uh, top of your kind of list.
3: They are indeed. And um, but it comes down to the things that we can manage. So when we're out on farm at the moment, we're doing, doing a lot of measuring up of silage stocks. So, what silage have we got in the clamp, and there's a real mixed bag between especially between north and south uh, once we've done that measuring of silage stocks, put together a, a feed budget for the winter, so we can see how many cows are going to be taken through, how much silage you're going to need, and if there's a gap, how are we going to help our customers to navigate that gap and um, and fill it cost effectively um Dan Dan and his team have done a really good job of of buying for us at the right time uh, this year and continue to to look at where those opportunities are. Um, From a farmer's point of view, they've got to deliver a margin um, on each litre of milk that they're producing. Uh, We're very fortunate at the moment that milk prices are good and there's probably never been a, a better time when the milk price to feed price ratio has meant that there's a margin to be made
2: Dan can I ask you do, do you feel there's an issue with could it be an issue with supply of any raw materials all that's going on in the world the cost is one thing but do you think we may have to as a, as a nutritionist we may have to reformulate in certain areas
1: because raw materials may or may not be available or may become excessively expensive yeah realistically there is um I think um the price will always be under relative control in the sense that as soon as something becomes too expensive no one will buy it and trade it, and it eventually have to come and correct itself. Um, but in terms of logistics, yeah, it's another area that's incredibly hard today. Um, and there will be disruption in the winter, I believe, um, in terms of supply. I don't think it will be to the level of having weeks or months where nothing's coming and real huge issues of having to reformulate or cancel contracts, etc. But I do think there'll be delayed shipments coming. Um, and, and that would could, could potentially cause real tightness in the supply and demand for the UK um, in for like a two or three week window where we might have to do things that we haven't normally had to do to make sure that we can carry on producing. So I think something, you know, will be very important going
2: forward is, you know, lead order times, isn't it, with everything we do, because, you know, if supply is going to be, you know, slightly more volatile than normal. And I think, you know, then, um, you know, having lead times, everything is going to be so
1: important, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's um, and it's and the tr- the tricky bit is difficult to know what to build in because um, you know, it, logistics at origins that we're dealing with is really hard, and and it's not clear, and 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 the liquidity is not always there in that in those sorts of markets to know exactly what's going on every moment. So, just when you think something's going to leave, it and that you get a message to say it's delayed two weeks. Um, there's not an awful lot you can do about it, you know, but you have to obviously react to that. Um, and again, managing risk of, of not having material. Cause let's be honest, you know, it doesn't matter how, what the price is, if you don't have it and you can't produce, that's a much bigger issue. Um, so, so I would say there's disruption potential for sure. Um, but I wouldn't say it was a major issue today in terms of supply, because the shippers are working extremely hard. And at the end of the day, that is their job you know, to get it here at the time that we've purchased it for and, and many other producers. So, so the priority for them will mean that they, that they in in 90 plus percent scenario will get get here what is needed at the right time but there is going to be disruption um, because they're already struggling to fix certain things um, for sort of November December now that they would normally have booked by now.
0: And do you think then Dan that um, really it's sensible practice and I'm sure more and more farmers are doing it to have that kind of backup plan in their mind of thinking that actually with volatility and with Drought conditions we've seen as well that have sort of added into the mix worldwide, that actually having a backup plan, or at least the thought of I'm going to go and speak to whether it's Mole Valley, a local local, uh, chap in, in the office to discuss these options, that really is kind of sensible thinking now, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing that the, the COVID market has taught us in the last two years is that it's 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 made things extreme to the point of having to think about things you wouldn't normally have ever had to think about before. Um, and that still is the case with the conflict market that we're basically in now. Um, you know, the volatility realistically has a lot to do with um, the fact that the russia Ukraine conflict is, is a big unknown in terms of what's happening today, next week, next month, next year so so although the pound is hurting us in places and costing us money at various times when we're um parliament wise not in, in order i would say that the biggest influence is to all these markets is still the conflict and and planning for that is tough but there has to be plan b's and plan c's as to what might happen if the prices rocket again if the milk price doesn't rise any further than it might have hoped you know those sorts of scenarios
0: yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, just mindful to, to point out that this is a business focused po- podcast about the agricultural markets. And whilst we are talking about the agricultural markets and the impact of the conflict uh, upon them, we're obviously all very mindful that this is having such a, a disastrous human impact there on the ground. So don't feel that whilst we're discussing things kind of from a business perspective, we're not mindful. Of what is uh, happening to, to, to people on the ground um, in terms then Robin of you know you, you mentioned the, the the question there about you know the, the nutritional factors of uh, this potential disruption to supply for yourself then what what kind of things can we do and as James has mentioned within the clamp to kind of understand what we've got going forward and what would be best for individual herds
2: well but despite all of this volatility and what's going on in the world one thing hasn't changed over the years is the importance of silage quality and Mm. understanding Mm. what's happening in the rumen and what's happening in forage camps and one of the things that just really hasn't changed is the necessity to test foragers regularly and because there's such an impact on performance and it's not just the performance of the animal and the financial performance but more importantly now as well probably the environmental aspects which is becoming you know, really quite important. So as always, you know, testing silages is, is really, really important because that rumen is, is central to everything that happens. And that rumen is working effectively, a whole load of things all, all fall into place. So as More Valley, our team of our 50-odd nutritionists, um, we test an awful lot of silage samples. We're getting towards a 1,000 samples so far this season. And I think more than volatility, I think the phrase might be variability because as James alluded to, north, south, east, west, um, with the summer we've had, there's quite a large variation in in silage quality. So, in silage quality and quantity. So, understanding, as James said, assessing um, forage stocks is, you know, really very very important. Um, on summary, I suppose, in summary, um, you would say that silages this year are steady but not spectacular, as I saw in the press. And I think that's about where we are. Um, early first cuts were decent quality and a decent fermentation perhaps limited tonnage and many farmers are actually you know chomping their way through those really very very quickly so as James again said in you know understanding those silage stocks and assessing them is very very important and feed budgeting. Um, in summary and it's quite hard to summarize a spreadsheet but in um, sort of in, in, in the main parameters um, dry matter is very important because all rationing is based on the dry matter of forages and the first cuts this year generally were very similar to last year, about 32, 34, 35% dry matter. But we no surprise with the drought that the second cuts were much, much drier than last year. And that's something that needs to be accounted for in both silage stock assessment and rationing, because the dry matter makes such a huge difference. Um, other main parameters we look at are the energy content. And generally speaking, the energy was a bit lower than last year. Um, We measure it in megajoules per kilogram dry matter. And in 2021, we averaged about 11.912. This year, it's near 11. And that one megajoule may not seem very much, but that's not far off a couple of litres a cow a day. So that really does add up over a season. Um, Second cuts, though, surprisingly, weren't too far different energy from last year. The final point I wanted to make in silage quality, these main parameters were the protein content. And that was probably the most variation occurred. Um, generally speaking, the earlier cuts this year were lower in protein than last year, but subsequent later cuts were very similar. But I think there's a question we need to ask is certainly the nitrogenous fertilisers has a large impact on the protein quality and the protein quantity of fertiliser. And, you know, how is fertiliser pricing and availability affected silage quality and how would it affect it going forward? And I think that's something the industry will be asking itself you know, it, it'll be a big question in the coming 12 months going forward on, on, on how the impact of fertiliser policy on actually silage quality. Um, that, that will be quite a major point. Um, just giving on a couple of more specifics, though, and as they say actually is in the detail. Um, two more subtle differences on silages this year, which may have a significant impact. The first one is the fermentations are quite different this year. Um, we have what we call fermentation acids, which make the silage. And we look at different ratios and generally speaking this year, the the lactic, the main good fermentation acid, is lower this year than in other years. And the other acids called acetic and butyric acid, acetate and butyrate, are actually slightly higher. And whereas we normally expect a ratio of lactic to acetate and butyrate of about four to five to one, this year it's near two to one. So that suggests that the fermentations aren't as strong and the keeping quality and the eating quality the silage may not be so good so I think that's another very important reason in amongst the main parameters of dry matter energy and protein of understanding the type of silage how it'll feed how it'll keep and how it'll be digested so fermentation quality but also the fibre quality of the silage we measure this in the d value or the digestibility and on average, the digestibility is down from about 74 percent last year to 70 percent this year. So that will no doubt not only impact on the, on the performance of the animal, but also the intake of the silage, because as it's less digestible, the animal can actually eat less. And we measure this what we' call the NDF, the neutral detergent fiber content of the silage, and generally speaking, that's five to six percent higher than last year. So it means that the silage is quite a different fermentation. They may well support butterfat better, but they may not support yield quite so well. But if the ration is balanced accordingly and these factors are taken into consideration, Seth, then these factors really, um, you know, it's manageable and the silages aren't bad, but there's huge variation and sort of in summary, they are steady, but not spectacular.
0: Keeping up to date with the latest information is incredibly useful. So, if you'd like to receive our weekly Straits report or daily raw material text message, then please email Catherine at molevalleyfarmers.com to sign up. That's Catherine with a C. Dot ward at molevalleyfarmers.com to sign up to our weekly Straits report or daily raw material text message. No, thanks for that, Robin. And you know the fact that Moor Valley are testing so many enables us to have that overview, doesn't it? To see what's happening, and that's kind of really useful information to impart. And I guess for yourself, James, you know it's kind of knowing, isn't it, what people are going to be looking for because they're seeing the results of what they've got within their clamp and what they might need to top up with.
3: There's so much to play for at the moment. So if you, you know, if you're milking a herd of cows. The silage quality isn't quite as good as it as it as it was maybe in a previous year. You might be two litres of milk down. That's a pound a cow a day of income at a fifty pence milk price. It's big money, isn't it? It's big money. So if you've got one hundred and fifty cows, that's one hundred and fifty pounds a day, multiplied by seven days of the week. So you know it starts to to add up. So the um, the cost benefit ratio of of using maybe more. Um, you know, balancing the ration in a lot more detail actually pays much better. Um, So if you are on a milk composition contract, then you could find yourself where you could be making another one or two pence a litre by manipulating milk composition. So again, really having a close look at the diet and analysing now what could we do differently? Do we need more true protein? in there could we use more you know maybe um uh, a molass product which has got protein built into it could we use some amino acids could we use a different mineral mix um it's well worth taking the time now to really concentrate on what does the silage that we're feeding today what could we do better
0: yeah and with that i suppose if we're looking at the the flow of milk the 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 prices that are available at the moment. You you mentioned earlier that in some ways actually matching the rise in the feed price with the milk price has been a little mm-hmm. bit of a blessing, but I guess, you know, you still got to be mindful, haven't you, that that, that could change. Absolutely
3: could. And if you take it, you know, with a you think about a business like a slot machine, you're putting a pound in, you're pressing the button or pulling the lever, and um, what drops out of the bottom? Well, if you're putting a pound in and two pound comes out, you keep doing that all day long, yeah, and we happy days. happy days just keep going, and, and we are seeing customers do that, where you know they're putting more and more feed in, they're getting a return on that investment, but it's about understanding the numbers because at the moment that it stops delivering that return, then we have to think again. If we analyze into the herd, you know we're dealing with herds of cows, but the herd of cows is made up out of individuals. Some of the cows at the bottom end of the herd, they're not necessarily paying their way, and with coal prices where they are today, it might be worth a second look at should those cows actually continue through the winter, eating into valuable silage stocks, and then using more expensive feeds when they're not giving us quite the return on investment. Could we reuse that capital, redeployed it in the business? Um, to, to better effect. A big cloud on the horizon is interest rates. A number of farmers out there you know, are very fortunate not, not to have overdraft and not to have massive loans, but the vast majority have got overdrafts and loans. Could be seeing those increasing by two, three, 4% interest. That's a lot of money. Could we redeploy the capital value we've got in the farm to, to reduce those overdraft facilities? And just drive the milk production a little bit harder, from a milk
0: yield and milk composition point of view. And I guess you like you say focusing on that composition—if it could earn you a pencil or two more—that's that's a big issue, isn't it? You know, if if you're uh, able to do that,
3: it's really exciting because you know, as, as nutritionists, um, we've we've got many many tools in the toolbox. We've got a range of products and we've got a range of techniques to help. Improve milk composition, and you know if let's say you take somebody at four point one percent fat, three point two percent protein, yeah, we can increase the fat yield and we can increase the protein yield, understanding the milk contract that that farmer is on, we we can we can manipulate the diet no problem at all
2: but that starts that starts with actually understanding the silage though james doesn't it because absolutely because if we need to get to point in that point where where the milk quality is to maximize the milk contract to maximize that milk price then the type of silage fermentations this year you know they they may be great you know if you've got a high fiber silage you know a butterfat based contract you're laughing great but if you need a more protein milk protein based contract then some of these silages might be a bit more challenging this year so absolutely, James, I think it's balancing that silage to optimise the rumen to get to the milk contract and the milk price you need, yeah.
3: Think about the rumen, it's, it's like a log burner. So to burn that forage, you've got to get the right accelerant into it, which might be a bit of protein, might be more sugar, just like when you've got a log burner, you put a little bit more air in there or some softwood to get it burning. And that's the, the skill of a nutritionist and working it hand in hand with the farmer Because sometimes that diet needs a bit more long fibre, Robin.
2: Firing that rumen up, but not firing it up too much, James. In your analogy, the wood burner is spot on. Because if the fire goes out, it's not very warm. But if the chimney catches fire, it's not great either. So that's the business if if the rumen isn't quite ticking, you're not going to get performance. Whereas if you overcook it, you'll have acidosis and rumen health and general health problems. And then it's, you know, and I think it's important to remember as well the cost of silage. You know, James, how long have we talked at silage being thirty pounds a ton fresh weight, or whatever the figure is? Um, most of my career, yeah, yeah, forever. But now it's probably double that. So, as part of this rationing and the overall costs, you know, and and the right cows and the herd eating the right ration, you know, this forage grown is worth an awful lot of money in terms of the, the the budget and the finance of the farms as well.
3: Yeah, so the dairy farmers listening, it's about thinking about where that maintenance plus ration is outside the the PMR or, or TMR, where are you setting uh, maintenance plus? It, and just, just looking at the herd, it may be worth resetting. Cold cows are worth a value and putting weight on cows, there is a value to that. Um, but um, if we think about silage stocks across the south of England, there was a moisture deficit of, of 160 millimeters. So that's two or three months rainfall, you know, and so a lot of farms are short of forage. But where um, hay and straw prices are this year gives a great opportunity to incorporate those into the diet, rebalance the diet um, and and spread those stocks
0: out longer. If this is something that you really want to get more into and hear a bit more advice, our first podcast of this current series was focused solely on agronomy and what kind of uh, seeds you should be planting what grasses you should be sowing um, for particular types of uh, areas that that you're in lots of really useful information so go back and check out the first uh, podcast of the series um, if you want some more detailed information upon that
3: absolutely and I think I think when we when we think about the conversations we're having on farm nowadays there's a lot more interest in soils and a lot more nutritionists are focusing back on that core forage can we get the soils in a better condition to grow better quality forage to then make it easier to ration the cows at the top end? So, you know, we're seeing, you know, some of those analyses are coming back very low in calcium on the silages. We can question whether enough lime is being used on farm. Lime's not very expensive to do, but that calcium coming through the forage, we can supplement at the top end, yes, but it's so important for smooth muscle tone in the cow, which helps the rumen turnover, all the other functions like motility, et cetera, you know, such a basic fundamental. If I'm on farm doing nutrition now, I want to see soil analyses, not just the basic P, K and S, I want to see the detailed one which give calcium level. And that's where we can make a real difference to the whole farm system, rather than just focus on today's diet, today
0: you know we've got to think about the farm more holistically you were mentioning there james about uh interest rates and obviously keeping a close eye on that the other thing that you know farmers everybody is thinking about electric prices and we hear that the subsidy for the domestic market is going to come to an end in six months time now we know this um, we're not sure what will happen after that, but I guess electric price on farm is a massive issue at the minute. Is is there anything that that people can really focus on with that? Um, absolutely. I think for before the government's announcement,
3: I think a lot of farmers—and forgive the pun—but got a shock. Some of those electric contracts are looking up to ninety pence a kilowatt hour, and when we, and when we look at where electricity use is on farm, um, there's a, there's a big chunk of electric used within the whole milking process, you know, so washing down through the process. Perhaps we can be a bit smarter around dairy chemical usage. Perhaps, you know, for those that are still doing two hot washes a day, cold wash and the dairy chems we can use today, you know, our colleagues that are out on farm looking at that can help to reduce that, that electric cost. If you look at the herd of cows itself, you know, if you take a row of cows, that's probably going to take you a quarter of an hour to 20 minutes to milk that row of cows. If you take the bottom end of the herd, that uh, maybe a marginal production, you know, not really paying their way, taking them out of the, the milking herds, maybe uh, culling them, um, could save you a quarter of an hour of milking. That's half an hour a day of that vacuum pump running, the lift pumps working, etc., so there's there's that little partial budget to do. It's well worth just reviewing all of these things longer term we've got our mole energy business, which is putting in a lot of p v and these solar units now, to try and you know try and take that risk out of the business as long as the sun keeps shining at least we're not open to market volatility by having you know,
0: renewable sources of electric on farm. Yeah, and obviously quite a few farmers have put in small-scale turbine as well, haven't they, to, uh, to aid their electricity production?
3: I think there's a misconception that, that payback time is a long time, and it used to be, didn't it? It used to be talked about 20 years' payback. But today, with electricity costs where they are now, and the advancements in the technology is a completely
0: different calculation. Yeah, interesting things to uh to consider we're just coming towards the end of our our time so in terms of sort of key things from each of you that people listening could take away today what would be the sort of the 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 key factors i suppose for you dan would it be that you know the the mole team are trying to get the best price all the time to to deliver but perhaps it's just people having a, a plan b As to what might happen if uh, what they're expecting to come in doesn't necessarily come in when when they were expecting it
1: yeah i mean the the extremes in the market are there and they're and they're real and they're happening now and on on reflection at the moment there doesn't seem anything out there to suggest that it's going to really end um, and that volatility has to be managed um, and the risk of your business obviously needs to be managed differently to, to how it may have been in the past and that's the, realistically what people need to be looking at. Um, in terms of product availability, like I say, I don't think we'll end up having any issues there. Um, if it's individual raw material basis, there's always something you can do within the formulation to still produce the same finished product feed that you would need anyway. Um, so it's more about, you know, risk risk price and and how you manage that I think a lot will have had um, a good understanding of how to manage that perhaps in the last couple of years anyway but it does seem that that volatility is going to continue and so it's just really important to understand within your own business as everybody needs to how exactly you best manage that.
0: Great thanks Dan and for you Robin would it be a case of perhaps looking at different uh, uh, grass that that you could grow potentially to get a, a better multi-cut system on the go for yourselves
2: absolutely i think it's understood you know understanding the silage you've got and as james said understanding where your milk contract is and then how you might alter the forages you grow the type of forages in relation to what you need to do and, and perhaps not expect a miracle that by growing the same silage you've done for donkey's years that it's you know give you a different result um and i think it's understanding different systems um understanding different forages the ratios of those forages in relation to what you need to achieve are you looking for that extra liter or are you looking for those you know those constituents components of the milk to to enhance your milk price um you mentioned multi-cut though that's probably another another, a whole new discussion but i think there's quite an important discussion there in terms of the quality of silage but also the costs of production because where diesel costs are as well multi-cuts can be expensive they they do provide excellent quality forage but I think to make sure that those costs are then utilised fully. Um, so there is a balance there. And I've got a few farmers now that have actually gone away for fewer but larger cuts because it's that much cheaper to make. And they can still in, still get a good enough quality for what they want to achieve. But it's all about discussion, understanding the cow's requirements in relation to the milk contract.
0: And a discussion with a, a more Valley nutritionist is a very sensible thing to do. Quite agree. <laughs> and for you james, what's your main takeaway? I think the main
3: takeaways are know your numbers, so you know we've got we've got a whole new world of numbers out there, so you know when wheat used to be one hundred and eighty pounds a ton um you know though we don't see that today. you know you can add hundred pound plus to it um so know the numbers um understand what the key drivers are for the business um evaluate forage stocks if you're doing a tick list get your silage clamp measured now and understand what rate it's going back because when you run out of silage other people are running out of silage at the same time and they will be in the market then to try and fill that gap at the same time that demand will drive pricing so so create a feed plan to stretch out for a good 6 to 12 months so you've you've fully identified you what month by month what you need, and then buy those stocks early. So we've contracted a lot of people for the winter. Um, and they've got they've almost locked and loaded margin for the winter, which is great. Do a milk forecast, and then start breaking down the herd and, and looking at margin per cow or groups of cows. Are they making the margin that I want them to? Am I, am I a busy fool looking after those cows or, you know, am I, am I putting enough focus into the top end? And I think lastly, really cash is king, always is. and Work cash really hard at the moment. Make the most of that milk price and then look at how cash is deployed in the business and invest it in things that are going to reduce risk going forward. So if you've got the bottom end of the herd that really is just a passenger, cashing them in and putting them into solar panels could be a really good move if come next April you're going to end up with an electric contract at 90 pence a kilowatt hour. So I think we've got to re, you know be, be prepared to just shake up the business a little bit uh, and and think a little bit differently. And our team are there to help people think about of the unthinkable things as well
0: thanks for listening today we'll be back soon with another agricultural update from mole valley farmers if you want to see more of what we're about and what we offer then head over to moleonline.com that's moleonline.com and i'll speak to you soon